to TSC for this week. Andy Evans here bringing you all of the action from the world of professional wrestling, including some big items. We are just a few days away from All Elite Wrestling Revolution and is, of course, headlined by Sting's Last Match. So this is Sting's Last Match Special. Original, right? You know, come on, this is me. You all know me by now. I come up with original titles. Uh, on the show this week, we're going to be looking at all of the t- latest news within the news line, looking at WWE, TNA, MLW, All Elite, and a lot more. We're going to be looking not only at Sting's greatest matches, but some of the greatest moments in Sting's career. We're going to do, as we said, preview AEW Revolution that goes down this weekend, and we're going to wrap up with this week in wrestling history my favorite segment of the lot now if you want to get in contact with us here at the show you can do all you need to do is head over to social media you can meet us on facebook x instagram and youtube at tse wrestling pod or team mow on facebook which is of course mcguire on wrestling where you can interact with me with mike with the hosts of act and with all of the great listeners and supporters of that channel all right let's get to it so what is coming up what have we got on the news line well we're going to kick it off firstly with some sad news and that is about virgil the longtime manager of the million dollar man ted dibiase and wrestling journey journeyman Virgil, whose real name was Mike Jones, passed away earlier this week. Mark Charles III shared the news when posting on Facebook. He said, my dear friends, it is with great sorrow that I bring news from the Jones family of the passing of our beloved Michael Jones, whom we knew and loved as Virgil, Vincent, Soul Train Jones, and of course more. Virgil passed peacefully at the hospital this morning, and I ask that you pray for him and for his family may his memory be eternal the former wrestler had been dealing with numerous health issues in recent years including a diagnosis of dementia in 2022 and he also had two strokes he made a name for himself as soul train jones in the cwa in memphis before getting the virgil gimmick where he was paired as as i said with the million dollar man ted dibiase as his bodyguard and our thoughts with his family at this time and you know Virgil was a shame because Virgil was a journeyman within professional wrestling. And, and who could forget that that image that was out there of, of the Comic Con where he had nobody in his line? I remember looking back at, you know, 1991 when he split from Ted DiBiase and he had Piper in his corner and he had some of those matches. He wasn't the greatest worker in the world. I think we can all agree with that. But he embodied something. He embodied a determination to go out and succeed. So our thoughts go out to the family of uh, Virgil. However, on to happier news. On Tuesday night on NXT, Sean Spears made his surprise return at the Capital Wrestling Center in Orlando. Ridge Holland came to the ring for the advertised segment, and within a few moments after entering the ring, those ominous 
Three Faces vignettes aired live inside the building. After it wrapped up with the lights out, we're spotlight in the ring when out of nowhere, someone wearing a hood appears behind Roland and decks him with a chair. He attacks him, pulls the hood off, and it's none other than Sean Spears, formerly known as Ty Dillinger, who has come back in as Sean Spears using his real name. Now, few within the WWE and NXT talent roster knew ahead of time about Spears' return, with one NXT superstar even referencing how some were in complete shock upon seeing him. He was not listed on internal run sheets or documents heading into the show behind the scenes. Outside of someone referred to as Quote Man appeared during Ridge Holland's segments. In, re- in regards to rehearsals, it was Shawn Michaels who played the role in the Holland segment. Spears was reportedly signed to a new deal to return to NXT before the first of the three vignettes aired. He was hidden backstage before coming out and upon making his return in the ring, was well-received coming through the curtain afterwards. Now, Sean Spears has commented, he made it after he made his return. He said, I like Ridge Holland, but he's been lying to himself for far too long. That jolt of pain that's currently cursing through his body, it's simply the truth. That's why I stuck Ridge. The truth can bring you to your knees, and that's why Sean Spears is now in NXT. See you next week at Roadblock. He, of course, left All Elite Wrestling back in January, one of the original signings of All Elite Wrestling. Uh, I don't think anybody anticipated a return to WWE. We should have done because Triple H was very high on the guy uh, back during the NXT days for Hunter. So it makes perfect sense. But there was still a part of me that thought he's heading to Florida for TNA. One of the longest battles in recent memory has not been in the ring, but within the court. And that's between WWE and MLW. Well, they've now reached a settlement in the antitrust case that began back in January of 2022. For those of you who can't remember what happened, MLW filed an antitrust lawsuit against the WWE, accusing them of interfering in TV and streaming deals, as well as poaching talent. Now, the lawsuit went through multiple amendments and motions and was ultimately dismissed in February of last year. But MLW then filed an amendment. A judge denied the WWE's motion to dismiss the amended lawsuit back in June. MLW argued that WWE was engaging in unfair practices, including blocking ROH and AEW events. They also stated that Stephanie McMahon interfered with an MLW deal with Fox-owned streaming service Tubi. On December 11th, it was announced that WWE and MLW had reached a settlement and in the late in the le, 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 in the latest 10k filing it was revealed that settlement was for 20 million dollars in light of the settlement the case was dismissed with prejudice on december the 26th 2023 now one of the biggest news stories coming out so far and bear in mind we're only just about to hit march was raw moving to netflix and in the recent tko earnings call president nick khan spoke about Raw moving to Netflix in 2025. He said, for us, a glorified global localized product has always been a priority. We think Netflix helps us with that. If you look at the PLE schedule for this calendar year, Perth, Australia this past weekend, Berlin, France, Riyadh, Canada, all over the world, look for down the road, more local stars from those markets 
as we expand our tryouts to international. So we feel confident over time that will be covered and be part of the Netflix deal. Now, on that same call, the TKO chief financial officer, Andrew Slimer, addressed the situation regarding where Monday Night Raw was going to go. And he affirmed the company's commitment to securing a temporary broadcasting platform for Raw from October through to December 31. Slimer expressed confidence that Raw would indeed fight a home for the fourth quarter, but did not provide specifics on platforms or arrangements. Instead, Instead, even, he said, we also intend to renew our licenses or find an alternative provider to carry raw in the U.S. for the 90-day period. Uh, These domestic licenses together account for a very significant portion of our media segment revenues and profitability. No assurances can be provided as to the outcome of these negotiations and if we are unable to renew existing agreements or find alternative streaming or distribution partners, our results of operations could be adversely impacted. Now, call me stupid. I cannot see USA Network not wanting to carry raw for the next 90 days. It makes sense. It makes sense for them to carry it on. It's still a money spinner. Okay. They're not obviously going to get the deal going forward, but it's established. The other option is to move to Peacock. That could still go. It could be that they use the WWE network, which we know is actually Peacock in the US. So there are options out there. But I'm going to ask you guys a question. What would happen if Raw took some time off, finished in October, wrap up the storylines, and then it comes back in January on Netflix, revamped, refreshed whole new look maybe a new roster of superstars do a split and then you kick off the road to wrestlemania 41 netflix style now that's just a suggestion yes it would impact them in terms of revenue in terms of advertising but think of the benefits this is a whole new start for raw and the wwe on netflix could they do with the time off i'll leave that with you now, New Japan superstar Tamatanga, who recently finished up with the company, uh, and real name is Alapati Aloiso Leone, is headed to the WWE, according to Dave Meltzer. Tonga spent 14 years in New Japan, where he was a former seven-time IWGP tag team champion, a four-time IWGP never openweight champion, and a four-time IWGP never openweight six-man champion. He was also an original member of the Bullet Club, one that included members who have gone on to become top players in multiple organizations. That includes Cody Rhodes, the Kenny Omega, the phenomenal AJ Styles, Finn Balor, the Good Brothers, Jay White, amongst others. The final NJPW matchup that he had was at this past Saturday's New Beginning in Sapporo. Tonga is the son of Haku, also known as Meng in WCW. It's not known when. He will start with WWE. I wouldn't expect anyone now to start until post-WrestleMania. It's too close. You're not going to want to take away from a debut until that Raw after WrestleMania 40. Now, that's my opinion. One company that is looking to make changes, and actually since January has been regularly in the headlines, is TNA. Um, We know that Impact recently reintroduced the TNA brand at Hard to Kill. Then... They changed their leadership with Anthony uh, Sicchioni taking over as president. But now 
Dave, is, Dave Meltzer has also mentioned that TNA Wrestling is planning to have live weekly TV for Impact on Access every Thursday and is exploring different venue options, such as the former home of NXT, Full Sail. The move is expected to happen in 2025 with a few live shows later this year. I'm up for this. This is a great move. We all know how good Full Sail looks. We know the production values of Full Sail. We know what they can do for NXT. I'm up for this. This is the next step for TNA's growth and organic change. And I think if they can put it off and they can start getting the crowd coming into Orlando, into Full Sail, we're in for a great little product. So uh, hopefully that continues. Now, speaking on Busted Open Radio, Bully Ray has given his thoughts, as he always does, on various topics, including the newest SmackDown women's superstar, Tiffany Stratton. Now, she most recently competed in last weekend's Elimination Chamber match, and Bully Ray thinks she's the total package. He goes, Tiffany, 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 oh, Tiffany. Amazing performance from Tiffany Stratton. Stratton did not go over, but Stratton got over. You heard the people in Australia chanting for her. Great performance. She's not afraid to take the maneuvers and pull out at the very last second. She's there for everything. She's not afraid to get her hands dirty. She's not afraid to get smacked around. Tiffany right now is the total package from the look to the athletic ability in the ring. I think he's got a few more people to convince. I'm on the Tiffany train. I think she's brilliant. I think she did a great job in NXT as women's champion. I love the gimmick. And if she can bring that and translate that onto the main roster going forward and continue to grow, working with the likes of Bailey, working with the likes of Dakota Kai, with Natalia, with uh, EO Sky, with Becky Lynch, with Liv Morgan, with Raquel Rodriguez, I think she could really fly. And when she brings some of the other NXT women's talent up, like that Lyra uh, Valkyrie, I think you're going to have a winning package with her. She is the future of the women's division in WWE, uh, whether or not people like it or not. Arn Anderson has given his thoughts on multiple topics during his latest edition of the Arn podcast, including his thoughts on Dusty, Dustin Rhodes' legacy in wrestling. Well, the gold thing doesn't work unless you can perform because that's an uncomfortable scenario for some people. He's talking about gold dust. He portrayed the character and some of the sexually risky things that he kind of teased during his matches. You know what I'm saying? Well, that'd be actually a performer and having a thought process of, okay, how much is too far? How much is just enough? You've got to be a smart guy to pull that off. But the natural Dustin Rhodes could go out and have a match with anybody. It didn't matter. I don't think you have one without the other as far as the gold dust. I don't know if he can pull that off had he not been the performer. He's versatile. And that is the long way around of trying to say what I'm saying. RVD is also hosting his own podcast called One of a Kind. And on it, he talked about a wide range of topics. One of those being how warm and welcome he has had in the AEW locker room. A lot of the guys really went out of their way to make me feel appreciated and welcomed. They were like, hey, some of us might be a little apprehensive about coming up and telling you this, but we're all so excited that you're here and so stoked. It definitely puts me in a different perspective than in WWE when I felt replaceable and expendable. I might be there next week. I might not. I never know. 
I never know if I was being really appreciated there or not because there was so much balance of different energies conflicting. I'm loving seeing RVD back in AEW. A lot of people can critique it and turn around and say, well, you know, he's a legend. Yes, he is. And he's taking time away from the roster. Yes, he is. But he can still go. And that's the thing. If you can enjoy watching the guy on the screen, then what's the problem? Now, former pro, pro wrestling veteran Billy Jack Haynes was released from hospital earlier this week and then immediately charged with second-degree second murder and unlawful use of a weapon for the incident that happened with his wife several weeks ago. He is currently at the Multoma County Detention Center. The hospital issue was for an unrelated health issue, which is why he wasn't charged until later this week. All right, that's your news for this week. We are going to be going now to have a look at what happened in history. You got to stream the alternate commentary table every single Saturday. It's brought to you on the McGuire on Wrestling feed. I'm one half of your host, Demetri Corollas, and I'm here with my partner, Mitch Hondras. Mitch, what is the alternate commentary table? It's simple. It's the perspective of wrestling from the other side of the railing, the real fans. That's right. The perspective that you need. You might have a little bit of fun, too. The alternate commentary table. Subscribe free now to the McGuire on Wrestling podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. Cheshire. So this week in wrestling history, if you've never heard this show before, how does it work? Well, we look back at the past week, covering from the 25th of February to the 2nd of March. And we're kicking it off on February the 25th, 1990, when WCW and the NWA presented WrestleWar Wild Thing from the Greensboro Coliseum in Greensboro, North Carolina. In the main event, Ric Flair defeated Lex Luger by countout to retain the NWA world heavyweight title keeping on the same date but in 1995 ecw's return of the funker took place at the arena in philly naturally based on the title of the show terry funk made his return after the main event with a surprise attack on both tommy dreamer and cactus jack the show saw chris benoit and dean malenko defeat sabu and the tasmaniac to win the ecw world tag team titles and then also on this date in 2001 WWF No Way Out took place at the Thomas and Mack Center in Las Vegas, Nevada. The show featured a double main event, the first part of which saw Triple H defeat Steve Austin in a three stages of hell match 2-1. And in the final match of the night, The Rock became the first ever six-time WWF champion with a win over Kurt Angle. Moving forward to February the 26th, 1997, a personal one for us here in the UK, because for the first time, Raw was taped in Europe. At the event in Berlin, Germany, the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith, was crowned the first ever European champion after a tournament win over fellow tag champion and brother-in-law, the late great Owen Hart. The final was the culmination of a tournament that took place over the course of a week-long tour of the country. The match aired on TV in the USA on March the 3rd. In 2010, WWE announced the mass releases of a horde of talent, including Maria Canales, Gregory Helms, Charlie Haas, and the UK's very own Paul Burchill. You're not missing much. He was a pirate at the time. Uh, one year later, in 2011, it was Ring of Honor's ninth anniversary show taking place at the Frontier Park Fieldhouse in Chi-Town, 
the main event, Mark J. Briscoe failed to defeat at the hands of Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas. Earlier on the card, Roderick Strong defended the ROH World Championship against Homicide in a no-holds-barred match. February the 27th, 2000, saw No Way Out taking place at the Harvard Civic Center. The main event saw the retirement of the legendary Cactus Jack after a loss to Triple H in a Hell in a Cell match for the championship. The stipulation insisted that Jack must retire in a loss, and it marked the end of Foley's full-time career but he was in fact away from the rink less than a month as he took part in Mania 2000's main event the following month. Elsewhere on the card, two title changed hands. Kurt Angle defeated Chris Jericho to add the Intercontinental Championship to the European title he already held. Dudley's won the tag titles from the Outlaws, Billy Gunn and the Road Dog. Also on this day, but this time in 2001, Stacey Carter a.k.a. The Cat, was released from WWE for undisclosed reasons. <coughs> Excuse me. As a direct result, her husband, the King Jerry Lawler, quit his role in the company, ending an eight-year run. He would return to the WWE in November, the same year after separating from Carter. In 2014, NXT Arrival took place at Full Sail in Florida, the first ever live event to be broadcast on the network. In the main event, Adrian Neville, otherwise known as Pac, defeated Bo Dallas in a ladder match to win the NXT World Heavyweight title. And it was a cracking show. Remember watching it on the network. February the 28th, 2000, one of the most hilarious skits in history. Mae Young gave birth to a hand rumored to be the offspring of Mark Henry. Yeah. 2013 at Impact Wrestling taping, the X Division Championship changed hands when Kenny King defeated RVD. And on 2014, the day after NXT arrival, the brand held their first ever weekly TV tapings with four episodes taped for broadcast on the network. In the main event, Adrian Neville beat Bo Dallas to retain the NXT title. And just think about the journey that NXT has had from being in a network-only product to now being on CW Network from October this year. The journey the legacy that it's created for itself is is uncanny it's fantastic february the 29th 1992 we're going back to super brawl again as super brawl 2 was prevented from the mecca in milwaukee wisconsin in the main event the man they call sting defeated the total package lex luger for the world championship this was luger's last match in wcw before he signed for the doomed world bodybuilding federation on the undercard, Flyin Brian. That's my Gary Michael Capetto impression. Uh, defeated Jushin Fandeliga to win the WCW Light Heavyweight Championship. This event was also the first in the commentary booth for the body, Jesse Ventura. In 2000, in a unique match on SmackDown uh, in Trenton, New Jersey, Kurt Angle successfully defended the IC Championship against Hall of Famer Sergeant Slaughter. You maggot. And in 2020, AEW's Revolution pay-per-view took place at the Wintrust Arena in Chi-Town. The main event saw the first ever World Heavyweight Championship title change when Moxley defeated Jericho. And finally, on March the 1st of 1998, ECW Living Dangerously took place at Asbury Park in New Jersey. The highlight of the card saw the hometown boy, Bam Bam Bigelow, defeat Taz to win the ECW Television Championship. 
It was during this match that the two crashed through the ring in a clip used repeatedly over the years in ECW highlight packages. Another iconic ECW scene took place after the main event of the show. Following Al's victory over Chris Candido, the crowd filled the ring with hundreds of styrofoam heads in tribute to Snow. In 2020, Evolve presented what turned out to be their last ever show, Evolve 146, before the company was closed by Gabe Sapolsky in July of that year. The show took place at the Melrose Memorial Hall in Melrose, Massachusetts, and the main event saw AR Fox defeat Josh Briggs. And finally, on March the 2nd of 1993, in a match taped for WCW Worldwide, which aired 25 days later, the Hollywood Blondes, Steve Austin and Brian Pillman, defeated Ricky the Dragon Steamboat and Shane Douglas to win the WCW World Tag Team titles in Macon, Georgia. On the same taping, Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff beat Eric Watts in the final of a tournament to crown a new WCW television champion. The title had been vacant since the reigning champion, Scott Steiner, left WCW to sign with the World Wrestling Federation. In 2008, Takeshi Morishima ended Mitsuhara Misawa's 448-day reign as the GHC heavyweight champion with a win in Tokyo, Japan. This would end up being Misawa's last title win as he unfortunately died in the ring in June the following year. Speaking about passing away, in 2012, Canadian journeyman Doug Furness passed away from heart failure at the age of 53. Competing in multiple promotions, including WWE, WCW, and ECW, he's most widely known for his tag team with Phil LaFont. 2013 was ROH's 11th anniversary show, which took place at the Frontier Theatre House in Chicago, Illinois. Two titles changed hands on the night. Firstly, Matt Tavin dethroned Adam Cole as a TV champion, and later on, Red Dragon, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish took the ROH tag titles from Jay and Mark Briscoe. The main event saw Kevin Steen retain the ROH World Championship against Jay Lethal. Some major things happening this week in professional wrestling, but none of them will be as historic as what happens at Revolution when it stings last match. And we're going to go now in just a few seconds to look at the greatest matches and the greatest moments of the icon sting. think about professional wrestling and when you think about someone like Sting you, you kind of have to sit there and go well actually was he that big and of course the answer is yes I mean he was the the pinnacle of WCW he was him alongside the nature boy Ric Flair and the total package Lex Luger and Hulk Hogan if you talk WCW they're the names that come up now this collection of matches is my opinion okay and i have gone out and i've asked everybody at team mow what they thought 
Sting's greatest matches were, as well as going out to both Lee and Sam, two hosts on this show. So I'm going to give you my, my list with some notes, and then we're going to go to Facebook. And these are in, actually, you know what? They're in no particular order. All right. It's not like a top 10 countdown. These, in my opinion, are Sting's greatest matches. And we're going to kick it off with a tag team match. Tag team match. Uh, as Teddy Long would say, from All Elite Grand Slam in 2021. And it's Sting and Darby Allin facing off against Dax and Cash FTR. And it's arguably the best match from the AEW era where he teamed with Allin at the Arthur Ashe Stadium as part of the Dynamite Grand Slam. It was a strong match. It saw Sting take center stage, earning the win for his team with the Scorpion Deathlock. And bear in mind, you know, Sting was told to retire after that that's that shot by Seth Rollins. He was told he would never compete again. He's in the main event. 2009, heading to TNA, this time for Bound for Glory. It's Sting versus the phenomenal AJ Styles. And he had a lengthy run in TNA that saw him undergo quite a few character alterations, including the Joker Sting, my favorite iteration of Sting. But his best match with the promotion remains this Bound for Glory main event which saw him put over the world champion AJ Styles. It was a real fun match with a great finishing sequence. And it was proof of the sort of selfishness that become a trademark of the WWE Hall of Famer over the years. And you can go back now and watch that on TNA Plus, And it still, to this day, stands up as a great match. Just like this one. Sting and the nature boy Ric Flair teaming up to go up against the Funker Terry Funk and the Great Muta at WCW Halloween Havoc 89. Four of the best ever to do it settled the score in a WCW gimmick match. That's right. The electrified steel cage. As Sting teamed with Ric Flair to defeat Terry Funk and the Muta in a match that could only end when one of the team's representatives threw in the white towel. Now, throughout their career, these two guys have been on opposite sides, Flair and Sting. And this was a really rare opportunity to see them on the same page without a not-so-shocking betrayal. This was a great main event between four legends that helped carry WCW in the 80s, in the late 80s, early 90s. Next up, we're going to one that's really kind of come out from nowhere and that's because it happened on an episode of nitro this time on the 26th of april 1999 and it was for the wcw championship which saw sting challenge ddp and it happened right in the middle of the show there was a great match with some fantastic reversals and counters including a finish that saw the icon counter the diamond cutter with the scorpion death drop for the win it would be short-lived reign. Page regained the gold later in the night. But this was a hidden gem from two legitimate main eventers at a time when there wasn't an abundance of them from that part of the roster in WCW. And that is on the network, and it's worth kind of finding out because, you know, they had to do something to make Raw and, and Nitro different each and every week. And this was just an example of one of those hidden gems that's on the calendar. Next up, we're going back to the early 90s. And this time, we're going to the best friends, if you will, Stig 
and the total package Lex Luger facing off against the Steiners. Four of the greatest stars in WCW history kicking off the inaugural Super Brawl pay-per-view. They went for a babyface versus babyface match, and it was brimmed with Hall of Famers. The icon obviously was the biggest star of the bunch, the franchise face of transforming WCW. The Steiners picked up the win after interference from Nikita Koloff, arguably the only sore spot in what was otherwise an extraordinary contest, and it's one of my favorite matches of early WCW. Just like this one, Sting versus Big Van Vader for the WCW Championship at Super Brawl 3. They just had superb chemistry, these two. Um, This was a strap match. It's not the only matchup of theirs to receive recognition in my list. It mastered the formula of the dynamic babyface versus monster heel. They had several classics and for a while were in such a groove that anything less than four stars would be considered a disappointment. Now, this one is no different. It was a bloody main event that saw Vader earn the win and Sting further prove his toughness to the fans. Toughness continues in our next one, which is Sting facing off against Cactus Jack from WCW Beach Blast of 1992. And this was Fool's Count Anywhere, may have been the most important in Sting's career. Let me tell you why. He was already established as the top babyface in the company. He needed to prove that he could be more than flashy and explosive. He needed a level of toughness, and he did just that against the wild and unpredictable Cactus Jack. He pushed himself against one of the most violent superstars in the company history. He beat him, and he emerged better off because of it. It was a fun brawl, and it only enhances its importance to the icon's career and earns its place on the list. And we're back to Vader. The King of Cable Tournament at Starcade 1992 was the combination, and it took place at the pay-per-view. The battle between Sting and Big Van Vader set the tone for countless battles they would have throughout their hard, their shared time in WCW. It was hard-hitting, it was physical, it tested Sting's metal, and it forced him to combat the monstrous heel with punishing strikes. For the majority of his run within WCW, he wore the bright paint, the neon tights, and he was happy to slap hands with the fans. Against Vader, he proved he could throw fists and counter the arsenal of his opponent. He caught the big man mid-flight with a power slam for the win, and it was just a truly, truly fantastic match that served as an exclamation point on what was arguably banner year for sting and it was the best from his career of a pure in-ring perspective and a true candidate for what would have been match of the year 1992 amongst some amazing competition not just in wcw but within the wwf at the same point we're almost at the end of my list sting versus the nature boy rick flair at nwa clash of the champions one there, I mean, let's be frank. There are better matches on this list, okay? But they weren't any that were more important to him and to the star he would become than the match that took place on March the 27th, 1988 against the reigning world's heavyweight champion. That was the inaugural Clash of the Champions, which aired on free TV opposite WrestleMania 4. 
Remember that. WrestleMania 4. <laughs> Jim Crockett Promotions had the opportunity to deal the WWF a blow, and they did so by booking the top star in the company, Flair, against the most promising up-and-comer at the time, Sting. For 45 minutes, the Nature Boy and the Stinger captivated a crowd of 6,000 people in Greensboro Coliseum, all of them sure they were about to see a young, up-and-coming hungry lion end the reign of wrestling's greatest performer. Instead, the bout ended in a time limit draw. In nearly any other circumstance, such a finish would be devastating, and in today's climate, would have rubbish and be booed out of the building. But what he did here was further establish Sting as a star of the future and proved to even the greatest of doubters that he had that he could hang with a competitor who was widely considered to be the best in the world. And it truly was a landmark watershed moment for the future multiple-time world's heavyweight champion. Now, this match, the last match on this list, was from Wrestle War 1992. And it was Sting's Squadron, which consisted of Sting, Nikita Koloff, Ricky Steamboat, Dustin Rhodes, and Barry Windham, facing off against the Dangerous Alliance, Revishing Rick Rude, Stunning Steve Austin, Bobby Eaton, Arn Anderson, and Larry Zabisco, of course, accompanied by Paulie Dangerously. It was arguably the greatest War Games match ever to take place, and it did so in 1992. It was an intense, violent match, which paid off months' worth of storytelling and featured some truly unforgettable visuals, including Barry Windham biting the blood-caked head of Steve Austin and Sting pressing Rude into the roof of the cage. The match was exactly what a showdown between two warring factions of such talent should be. The crowd were red hot. The action backed up the hatred that existed between the teams, and the finish was brilliantly executed as Sting trapped Eaton in an armbar and forced a submission. Not only did this settle the biggest overarching storyline in WCW at that point, it continued that career year of 1992 for Sting. Another example of his ability to be the franchise star, to carry a promotion on his back when other mainstays, such as The Nature and The Total Package, sought opportunities in the WWF. 30 years, over 30 years later, since that match, it remains the best, in my opinion, and in many people's opinions, of Sting's career and should be revisited if you haven't seen Sting in his prime or the excellence of what Paul Heyman's early 1990s run with WCW really, really looked at. I mean, it was just... Oh, she shivers down your spine thinking about it, right? Because it was that good. It was just iconic. And it's on the network. Go back and watch it. If you've got it, watch it while you can before the network shuts down. So I went to Facebook and I asked everybody what the greatest matches in their opinion for Sting were. And I'm going to give you some of the comments. Uh, Lee Tai is definitely the Great American Bash 1990 when he beat the Nature Boy Ric Flair for his first WCW world title and his debut at Survivor Series. Uh, Sam Mellows has come up with a few that are actually on my list already. Uh, a couple that are not. Sting versus Steven Regal from the Great American Bash 96. 
and Sting versus Triple H from WrestleMania 31. His others were Sting versus Vader from Super Brawl and Sting versus Cactus Jack. Mike McGuire has gone to Bound for Glory 2007, um, where he faced off against Kurt Angle. Uh, he said that despite the lot of TNA run-ins and interference, probably one of Sting's best modern efforts that didn't occur in the NWA and WCW. I totally agree. David Axman has to be Rick has to be versus Rick Flair at Cash of the Champions, despite the draw and the voting winnings that we've just talked about. Jake Allenar, being a younger fan, one of my favorite matches, and to me very underrated, is it TNA Bound for Glory 09 against AJ Styles, a match we've covered. I love that main event that would benefit it from a being a couple of minutes longer. The finish felt super sudden. However, both Sting and AJ put on a hell of a performance. The idea was to pass the torch from Sting to Styles, and TNA should have followed this match better with Styles. I totally agree. Blaine Van Der Grind, any of his matches with Flair, especially the first Clash of Champions. I actually really liked his match with Seth Rollins too, aside from the injury. He also had classics with Muta, and I liked the tag match with him and Lugo versus the Steiners. Joe Aguinaldo. I grew up watching Sting in the mid-80s challenging Ric Flair. My favorite Sting match will always be the first Clash of the Champions. Another one is Sting versus Flair at GAB 90. Some other ones off the top of my head. Sting versus Muta 89 and Sting and Muta versus the Steiners. And Michael Parker wraps us up. Sting versus Muta from the Japan Super Show in 1991. And the following year, the great Muta and Sting versus the Steiners. These shows were like WrestleMania cards, and Sting felt like a megastar with Muta. Well, I think what can be announced here is that we all share very similar opinions of what his greatest moments were. But what about his, great, his greatest matches? But what about his greatest moments? Now, I haven't asked any of these, and these are purely what I've been thinking. So I'm going to kick it off with the road to Starcade 1997. If you remember back to this time, he was being questioned about whether or not he'd joined the NWO. They were questioning whether or not he would leave WCW, who was declaring himself a free agent. Instead, he watched from the rafters and he kept a close eye on the goings-on in that ever-changing landscape. And he had a completely different look. He had gone from the surfer dude Sting to a look inspired by the 1994 film, The Crow. Sting ultimately did reaffirm his loyalty to WCW, attacking the NWO and making his desire to challenge Hulk Hogan for the world title apparent. And got to imagine like, at this time where pay-per-views are happening every month, we've got 12 pay-per-views a year. This was a year-long storyline where he said nothing. No promos by Sting. No vignettes. No parodies. All he did was communicate via his eyes and his body language. And of course, that culminated with that win in the main event at Starcade. <laughs> And this story is not only the best thing that Eric Bischoff and WCW ever created, it's also the best work from Sting. This was a man who was the franchise, only to be doubted and questioned by the same fans who he worked his entire career to be for. 
He was disenfranchised. He took a step back, but he proved himself to be the Dark Knight. He proved himself to be WCW's Batman. And he was the hero that WCW deserved. It's to this day, regardless of what company you're with, it is one of the greatest stories in pro wrestling history. And the moment that Sting went from being a franchise player in a B product to the icon. The first world championship win at the Great American Bash that Lee's mentioned and Joe's mentioned. He, at this point, Sting had battled Flair so many times ahead of the 1990 pay-per-view in Baltimore, but had always failed to relieve him of that world championship. But that changed as he caught Flair with a roll-up to finally win the title. And the post-match celebration only solidified what fans already knew. It was a coronation. It was a coronation of Sting or the Stinger becoming the man for WCW in this new 90s decade. He would go on and have other victories, including the win against Hogan. But this first one really is tough to top. Then it was a debut that we thought would never happen. And for years, Sting cited concerns over the WWF's true intentions with him as the reason that he never made the jump to the WWE. He was worried that there was never going to be any real plans and that there was anyone to spite WCW. But by 2014, that was no longer a worry. When Sting did what many thought that he would never do and debuted at the Survivor Series, walking to the ring and thwarting injustice by laying out Triple H and setting up Dolph Ziggler's pinfall victory over Seth Rollins, he left his mark on the broadcast and set in motion a story that would culminate in his first and his only WrestleMania match against the game the following year. But let's really not talk about that because the less said about that and the creative, the better. Sorry, Sam. Back in 19, back in 2001, when WCW shut down, there was a moment. It was a simulcast where Ric Flair, uh, where Vince McMahon said, I hold WCW in my hands but that wasn't the iconic moment the iconic moment was seeing flair and sting because sting and flair dedicated their professional lives to wcw seeing it through both the best and the worst and it was only fitting that they were the two called upon to wrap things up in the main event of the final of the telecast handpicked by vince mcmahon according to sting himself in the 2015 sting into the light documentary it was a testament to just how far reaching his status as the franchise of the company was he was the rival promoter overseeing the final show in the company that tried to put him out of business acknowledging that sting was the guy in wcw and one of two stars he felt best suited to close things out it really was a surreal day and it was a surreal day for those who were backstage watching it and that's been well documented but really for fans it was a surreal day for us watching it on monday night raw because this was it this was the end of the monday night wars this was the end of the competition this was the end of wwe having to put on their best shows but this was also at that point from what we knew the last time flair and sting would ever be in the ring and the last moment leads us nicely into our next segment because it's leaving the wwe and arriving in all elite and that's winter is coming and he was forced into an early retirement following the neck injury sting was gone from wrestling 
Then he had an opportunity to return to the square circle when AEW began. Now, Borden has said that he was unsatisfied by how his career ended, so he signed. And after weeks of teases, he debuted at the Winter is Coming edition of Dynamite on December the 2nd, 2020. It was an unforgettable moment. And it was the biggest in AEW short history to that point. It was a chance for Sting to end things on his term. And it also served as recognition that AEW was a legitimate competitor in the pro wrestling industry. And it has sparked a run that has seen Sting continue to perform at a high level whilst competing against the future stars of this industry. And whatever happens this Saturday at revolution all that can be said is thank you sting because for 30 plus years he has gone out and entertained all of us whether or not you are nwa wcw tna wwe or aew fan it has been enjoyable to watch sting in the ring it has been enjoyable to see him lace up the boots against the likes of flair and to see within aew what he's done with darby allen Thank you, Sting. And let's get to Sting's last match. This is the preview coming up now for Revolution. So Revolution takes place on a pay-per-view. A number of matches scheduled, nine matches in total, but there is a change to the Revolution card, and that's because the match featuring Wardlow, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Lance Archer, which was called the Meat Madness match, is not happening. Tony Khan revealed on social media that due to injuries, the match has been postponed, and instead, an all-star scramble matchup will take its place. Now, this list is updated as per last night's Dynamite. There may be changes on Rampage and Collision, but if that happens, I can't really do much about that. So let's kick off with the All-Star Scramble. We don't know what that's going to be. Uh, can't predict it. Don't know what the match is going to be. Don't even know who's in it. So moving to tag team action, FTR will face off against the Blackpool Combat Club. And this has been one hell of a feud on TV over the past few weeks. And for me... I genuinely think you've got to go with the BCC. I think FTR have had a great run and they've done some great matches with Daniel Garcia and the feud between Moxley and Castagnoli and Danielson has been gripping in a time when storylines within AEW have been criticized. This has been one of the shining stars. I'm going with the Blackpool Combat Club to beat FTR. Now, last night on Dynamite this past week, saw the full-time debut of Will Ospreay, who is now All Elite, and he's going to be facing off against Konsuke Takeshita, Carlos Family versus Callis Family. Can't get my words out right now. I've been talking for too long. I think what you're going to see in this one is going to be a separation of the Callis Family. Will Ospreay is going to go here. It's going to go face. I mean, he is one of the biggest stars that they have, and I predict he will be in the main event at All In here in the UK in August facing off against whomever is the AEW world champion. So for that, my money is on Will Ospreay. The TNT championship, Christian Cage facing off against the replacement for Adam Copeland, Daniel Garcia with um, 
his faction. Now, you you can't take anything away from Daniel Garcia. The kid has been incredible, and he has got such a future with him in terms of where he's been, what he's going to do, where he's gone. His time with Jericho has really helped him. But this isn't Garcia's time. We are going to be seeing that title change with Adam Copeland. If it had been Copeland versus Cage, I would have gone Copeland to win. However, in this case, I'm going Christian Cage to retain. The Continental Classic Championship is on the line. Eddie Kingston facing off against Brian Danielson. I'm finding this one really tough to call. And the reason for that is there's a case for both of them to win, right? The fact that Kingston got put to sleep on last night's Dynamite makes me think he's going to retain. However, I'm going to follow my gut and I'm going to go with the American Dragon, Brian Danielson, to become the new Continental Classic champion. Orange Cassidy will defend the International Championship against Roderick Strong. Uh, uh, If ever I thought the title was up for grabs, it's this match. I think Cassidy is is not going to retain. I think they're putting too much emphasis now on the Adam Cole stable. So I'm going with Roderick Strong to be the new international champion. The match that I'm struggling to call is the AEW Women's Championship between Timeless Tony Storm and the virtuosa Deanna Perrazzo. Because I kind of think it's too soon to take the belt off Tony Storm and she's doing such a good job. But at the same point, I think Deanna needs it. So I'm going to go to a no contest. <laughs> I'm just going to sit on the fence. However, if you put a gun to my head, I don't think I would turn around and say Deanna would, would win the match. Samoa Joe will defend the AEW Championship against Swerve Strickland and Hangman Page in a triple threat. We saw the official heel turn last night of Hangman Page. Um, I'm still going Samoa Joe to retain. It's too quick for him to drop the title, but it's going to be one hell of a matchup. And that brings us to Sting's last match. The AEW Tag Team Championships, Sting and Darby Allen with Ric Flair facing off against the Young Bucks. I think whichever way they do this, fans are going to win, right? And I can see them doing it as though the Young Bucks win. However, I think what will happen is you will have Sting and Darby Allen retain the AEW World Tag Team titles and then vacate them on Dynamite. So I'm going with Sting and Darby Allen. I think Ric Flair is going to get involved. I'm pretty much guaranteed that, you know, uh, Flair will turn on the Nature Boy because it wouldn't be a Nature Boy thing without that happening. And that's it. That's our Revolution preview. What do you think? Let me know across social media. Do you agree with what I've said? Do you agree with the matches in the countdown? Do you agree with the moments? Let me know across all of social media. And don't forget to join all of us across uh, Team MOW this week with the alternate commentary table on Saturday. And, of course, Mike himself, Mike McGuire on Wrestling on Sunday, which will be your official go-home show for AW Revolution. It's been a pleasure, as always, to be with you this week. Thank you for joining me. Uh, and from all of my team, uh, we will see you soon. Stay tuned to YouTube because next week, we will be doing an exclusive review of WWE 2K24, courtesy of 2K Games. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be doing an exclusive review of that, including some footage next week right here on the YouTube channel, uh, available at TSC Wrestling Pod. 
links of course will be on team mow so uh thanks for that thanks for joining me enjoy revolution this week whatever you're doing in professional wrestling have a great time if you're going to a live show let us know about it we want to hear where you are what you've been who you've seen show us some photos send us some match footage we'll cover it on the show until next time i'm eddie evans i will see you very soon until then see you at the matches so long bye-bye